Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to House of Cards. Today, the game is different. I want to gamble. Gambling is a very serious business. Is that clear? Welcome to House of Cards. Dave Weishelder with you here deep from the swamps of Jersey. we got a great show coming up for you. I can't believe it's been over five years since the U.S. Supreme Court has struck down the law which stops states from legalizing sports betting. Since then, over half the states in this country have legalized sports betting, and more states will legalize it this year. What can we expect coming up from the sports betting industry? And will online casinos and online poker start spreading across the country like sports betting did? When we want to find out what's going on in the gambling world, we turn to our friends at Better Collective. Coming up on the show, we're going to hear from Adam Small. Adam's been on the show many times before, and he's going to give us the latest on the gambling world, whether it be about advertising or new markets opening up. Adam's got the lowdown on everything that's happening in the gambling world. When we come back, Adam Small from Better Collective is going to join us. So stick around. We'll be right back with House of Cards. Hey, this is Dave Weishuttle from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of August 14th, 2023. According to the American Gaming Association, commercial gaming industry revenue reached $5.49 billion in the month of May. This is a 6% increase from May of 2022. This also marks the 27th consecutive month of annual national growth for the industry. In the first five months of 2023, the commercial gaming revenue reached $27.5 billion, which is 12.4% ahead of last year's record pace. Pennsylvania's 20th online casino launched. Bally's online casino went live in the Keystone State, which is the second online platform to launch without a retail partner. Bally's online casino offers its players 212 games, which includes slots and table games. Players can also experience live dealers on the site through Bally's partnership with Evolution Gaming. And finally, if you love the NFL and you love playing slot machines, you're going to have fun in September because that is when Aristocrats NFL-licensed slot machines are scheduled to hit the gaming floors. Players will be able to choose their favorite teams, which will then trigger different graphics and imagery depicting their chosen team. This marks the first time the NFL has entered into a casino licensing deal. Can't wait to try it out. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HFC Radio. For more than 30 years, SCCG Management has set a standard of excellence unmatched in the global gaming industry. From startups to established companies, SCCG Management and its team of experienced leaders help each of their clients navigate the ever-changing, fast-moving business of gaming in all its forms. Sports betting, iGaming, eSports, casino technology, SCCG Management provides a global network to connect its clients with the right strategic partners for growth on a global scale. SCCG also works with entrepreneurs, providing capital and resources to assist in the development of new and innovative projects products and platforms. Whether you're looking to enter the U.S. market, expand your reach to other parts of the world, or establish your business in the global gaming industry, look to SCCG Management for the guidance you need. SCCGmanagement.com, expert solutions for strategic success. You're listening to House of Cards. 
I'm talking sick piles of money. I'm talking lay on your bed in your Vegas room, throw the money in the air, and dance as it showers down on your money. I'm talking frosted glass limo money. I'm talking big cowboy hat, silver, turquoise buckle money. I'm talking gambling. I am in love with you. Welcome back to House of Cards. Dave Weishaddle with you. It's been over five years since the U.S. Supreme Court struck down PASPA to allow states to legalize sports betting. And since 2018, it's been one big story in the industry after another, whether it's new states coming on board, the new rules and regulation, and what operators are dominating and what others are folding up or getting acquired. The news has been nonstop. And when we want to find out the latest in the industry, we always ask our favorite guest and brand new Florida resident, Adam Small from Better Collective. Adam, as always, Welcome back to the show. Man, it's so great to be back. I, I can't remember when the last time I was on was, but uh, I, I love this show. It's always been one of my favorites, and thanks for uh, highlighting my new home. Yeah, be in Florida. yeah, congratulations. A big move to Florida. I hope everyone's settled down now. Everyone's getting into a routine now down in the Sunshine State. It's awesome. Uh, loving it here. The kids are really happy. We bike everywhere all the time. It's it's a little hot this time of year, <laughs> a little hot, and the weather's a little wild. We get like these 100-degree days, and then we have these crazy thunderstorms, but uh, we're, we're loving it so far, and uh, hopefully I'm actually able to bet on sports here at some point, because <laughs> that seems to be like a very uh, will-they-won't-they situation. Well, well let, let's <laughs> talk about that. You brought it up uh, about Florida, and that state seems to be one of the biggest stories in the sports betting industry. I want to get your take on, on the status of sports betting in, in Florida. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people in the sports betting industry, and they tell me the situation is fluid, which is usually a polite way to say it's very confusing. But you're <laughs> yeah. But you're down there and you see what's going on. So as we're speaking today, what's happening in the state of Florida with regard to sports betting? Well, it's like, uh, you know, you can back up and just say, like, at least we're not California, right? Yeah, yeah. But, no, I mean, you know, I, I, I kind of like take this bird's eye view of everything because, as you know, Dave, I, I mean, I've been observing and been part of this whole thing since before the PASPA repeal sure, happened. Sure. And, uh, you know, at that point, we had New Jersey that was clearly coming in. And then West Virginia earlier that year said that they would do it. And, and Pennsylvania, similarly, they had passed laws that said sports betting would happen if the Supreme Court overruled PASPA, or, you know, if, if it was allowed federally. And uh, and since then, we've now got more than half the states in the country involved. But uh, the big four states, uh, Florida, New York, Texas, and California, have kind of all been white whales in their own unique ways, all four of them. And, and if you'd asked me three years ago which of these states uh, we'd have by 2023, I'd probably have said none of them. So yeah. the fact that we now have New York uh, with a fairly vibrant sports betting market and Florida with a possible, mm -hmm. you know, once <laughs> yeah. in future sports betting market happening. I think it's a fairly positive development. So, um, you know, you're asking what's going on down here. What's my take? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a, it is a, it is an interesting situation. It's uh, it's a state that has decided for, you know, the, the majority of the gambling stuff that goes on here that it runs through the Seminole tribe, sure. which owns uh, hard rock at, you know, I play tech now the year uh, Israeli, I believe gambling company now owns part of hard rock, but uh, the Seminole tribe is, is 
far and away the dominant player in this game. And they were able to secure a uh, legislative victory that gave them a sports betting monopoly in the state. But uh, before that could really fully play out, uh, it got tied up in the courts and continues to be. And the tribe got a ruling in its favor recently that said that they could launch uh, online sports betting in the state, but uh, it may get repealed again, may end up in front of the U.S. Supreme Court even. And because of that, there's some uncertainty around whether or not they're going to relaunch until this is fully settled. And I think it makes a lot of sense. If I were them, I'd be very hesitant about it. Uh, you got to think that from a customer viewpoint where it's not just hard rock, it's also, uh, you know, the offshores and their local bookie and so sure. on. If you're an existing sports better or someone thinking about betting on sports and uh, you see hard rock come online as an option that's saying they're the only real legit game in town and you move your business there. And then like a few weeks later, you find out that they're no longer in town. Uh, you really have had a negative experience in a, in a variety of ways. You may not trust them as much with what they say. You may not take them so seriously next time they say they're the only game in town, you know, once this is all settled. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think they're very hesitant to, uh, temporarily launch if they're not sure it's going to be permanent. And, uh, my understanding is that, you know, their lawyers are evaluating things and trying to decide what they want to do and how likely it is that they would have to go back offline and, and we'll make a decision based on that. Yeah, I'm very curious. Where does Florida go from here? I mean, are the state legislators getting involved with the issue? Are they coming up with some kind of plan or resolution? Are they waiting for the courts to have their final say in everything? What 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 are you hearing down in Florida? Because this has been going back and forth a lot. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about any specific legislative activity. I mean, obviously... The Fandals and DraftKings of yeah. the world have, you know, tried to weigh in and see if they could get an alternate solution down here, but it just doesn't look like that's at all likely to happen. I think that the real, the real options are either, you know, it's hard rock only or it's nothing. And, uh, and, and I think it is going to be hard rock only. I just think it's a matter of time for this to all play out and, you know, the possible additional levels of litigation that could happen but um no i don't think the legislator the legislature really wants to get involved in this they really don't like doing anything at all that pisses off the seminoles mm -hmm. but i think they also just would rather not be doing anything at all on this <laughs> and uh it makes it easier i think just to say well we'll just wait and see what the courts say i'm not even sure there's anything they can do yeah. so um it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, I, I I've been here a really short time. I'm not entirely sure how long and how often the Florida legislature is in session, but if it's anything like Texas, it's just kind of crazy how condensed <laughs> yeah. everything is. I think Texas meets for like three months every two years or something like mm -hmm. that. It's a state of 25 million people or whatever. Uh, you got a lot of business to do in that time, right? Yeah, so, yeah no, it's. Uh, I, I know they have a problem with their power grid. I, I, I can't believe they're not meeting every <laughs> week on that one. But uh, stick around. We'll be right back with more House of Cards.
The House of Cards Gaming Report is brought to you by Drizzly, your online liquor store. Available in over 95 cities across North America, Drizzly offers a huge selection and competitive pricing with a side of personalized content. Now there's no need to leave the house. Get alcohol delivered in less than an hour by Drizzly. Head on over to drizzly.com and order today. And now get $5 off your first order of $20 or more when using our promo code DRINK19 at checkout. Shop beer, wine, and liquor with drizzly.com. You're listening to House of Cards. And a baccarat, boo, 20 carats, seven card stud, blackjack, and craps too. <laughs> I'm just a fool for gambling. Welcome back to House of Cards. Dave Weishaddle with you. For those of you just joining us, I am talking with Adam Small from Better Collective. I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the Seminoles. I, I, you know, I was talking to a lot of people about Florida and things like that. And, you know, anytime mobile sports betting gets into a state, it's you, we're usually talking about FanDuel or DraftKings. But, you know, when, when I think of Florida, I think of Hard Rock. And, you know, I, I'm wondering... Will Hard Rock really still be dominant once you know, FanDuel or DraftKings come into the picture? Do they have a real shot at being dominant even above FanDuel or DraftKings? Uh, you mean like, I guess, elsewhere in the country? Right? Yeah, yeah, elsewhere in the country. I mean, it's either FanDuel or DraftKings, number one or number two. I mean, I, when I think Florida, I just automatically think Hard Rock. And I, I would think they would be the dominant site when, when Florida gets sports betting and online sports betting. I would think Hard Rock would be up there right up on top. Yeah, I mean, well, assuming they're, you know, if they're the only one, which is looking like the most likely thing yeah. that's yeah. going to happen down here, then yeah, I mean they're they're going to be huge, and it's going to obviously tilt the nationwide market share uh, pretty hard in their direction. It's not going to put them above you know FanDuel DraftKings nationally, <laughs> but um, you know having a hundred percent of the market in uh, Florida is actually going to be the biggest state that yeah. has sports betting because uh, I believe Florida's past New York in population as of ten or fifteen years ago. Sure. Um, so uh, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna make a big difference in their national footprint. Mm -hmm. But I also understand that Hard Rock's gonna be going live in a number of states soon, and uh, so they are finally, after a, a long time of talking about it, making a real push into the, uh, I guess, quote unquote, national sports betting market, the multi-state sports betting market. Yeah. We'll say, um, and I think that I think that they're for real. I think they're a really interesting player. Uh, I've been having these conversations for a year or so around just like this kind of the broader concept of this kind of second wave in the U.S. Where you had the first wave of legalizations in like 2018, 2019, where a lot of states came in and, and all the way through really even 2022 when New York came online, just had a steady stream of new states coming online. And, and, and it's still going on today. We're going to have North Carolina fairly sure. soon. That's a really big state. Uh, you know, Kentucky, kind of a mid-sized state, but the, the, these continue to happen. They're slowing down, but they're happening. And early on, it was just very clear, like Fandle and DraftKings were the undisputed leaders. They were way, way, way ahead of the pack everywhere. And then, you know, BetMGM started becoming a bit more relevant. Caesars started making a bit more of a push. They've struggled, but they've pushed. And there are a handful of other brands that have... Uh, made an impact here and there. Bet365, I think, has done okay in, in uh, Ohio, for example. But there's been a lot of talk about, you know, what 
what is the market going to look like in five or 10 years? Yeah. Is it still going to be this FanDuel DraftKings, maybe BetMGM sort of group at the top? Or, you know, are there going to be other operators that make a real push and become actually relevant? And my, my belief is that one, yes, there will be other, uh, you know, other operators that come into the mix and matter and possibly challenge for the top spot, even in certain states. Um, and, and then the question is, who are those operators? Which are the ones that have a chance? Like, you know, because you see a lot of European operators. You saw like yeah. 888 making a play in the U.S., Unibet, some of these brands, Typico, that it's kind of like, you know, you're incredulous probably. I'm incredulous that <laughs> these brands are going to make a difference. But on the other hand, you got Fanatics. Uh, they're very, very relevant U.S. footprint, just not in sports betting, but in sports, very relevant footprint. You've got Bet365, which is probably the class of the class globally in sports betting. Um, you know, how do they fit in once they really start investing in the U.S.? I think we're kind of getting a little taste of that in Ohio. But they just didn't have the user base that FanDuel and DraftKings had. So they, they got more uphill climbing, but they could be relevant. I, I've always, I believe that they'll matter. I believe that Hard Rock is another one that that is going to matter in the U.S., I think Hard Rock, uh, you know, has broad access to a lot of markets and to a lot of customers that um, both maybe in their actual databases, but certainly that are familiar with their brand because they've been pretty ubiquitous in the U.S. for, you know, the entirety of my life, I would say. Um, and uh, I think that they'll make a play. I think that I think that they will be relevant. I think that there are different constraints on them because of being owned by the Seminoles that have very specific goals compared to like a shareholder owned brand like DraftKings. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's something that people may need to temper their expectations. My understanding is that the Seminoles place a very high priority on being profitable on having a certain amount of revenue pouring in that, um, you know, is, is being counted on to fund things that they need for the tribe. And uh, and so it's not quite as simple as like what DraftKings does, where they just go totally kamikaze everywhere and, and spend all their money and don't care how much they lose. Um, obviously, I'm oversimplifying. Yeah. But um, bottom line is Hard Rock, you know, it's a different company. They've got different goals. But I do think that they have a real chance to be relevant in a number of markets around the U.S., like I said, 2018 was when the U.S. Supreme Court struck down PASPA to allow states to offer sports betting within their borders. In your opinion, what is the state of the industry right now? I mean, I, I remember, you know, the the big issue when it first started was, you know, you, we want people to use licensed sites and not offshore uh, sites and right. things like that. Is that still a concern right now? Or are people really, I mean, in Canada, I mean, every gray site has really become a legal regulated site. Is that still a concern in the U.S.? And um, where do we go from here with regard to the industry? I don't think it's as big of a concern now. I think it was something I was definitely hearing a lot of in yeah. 2018, 2019, and even even earlier when it was just New Jersey doing online casino and poker and a, you know, a couple other Nevada had poker and Delaware was doing their thing. And even then there was like a lot of talk of, Oh God, you know, why are, why are we still letting people play on these offshores, but there were no other options. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that, you know, just the advertising prominence that this industry's had being on all these football broadcasts yeah. and like yeah. just having all these betting shows on every network and so on that has had the intended effect of, you know, 
blanketing the airwaves and billboards and so on. And, and people know that there's legal sports betting out there yeah. uh, at this point. And you still see a lot of kind of, of the, uh, I don't want to say quasi-legal because I believe it's fully legal, but it's unregulated uh, kind of sports betting-ish stuff like prize picks mm-hmm. uh, and underdog and sleeper and some of these other games that are out there that are sort of alternative products for people that are into this space and and that uh, offer something different and aren't part of sort of that regulated sports betting regime that are also, though, getting TV advertising and showing up in prominent places. Yeah. So it's it It's a different spot. There's still, there's still kind of different groupings that are out there. But um, I don't think the offshores are super relevant, except yeah. in the states where there's no regulated products at all. I'm sure that if you live in California or whatever, uh, that there are lots and lots of people that are still gambling on offshore sites. I'm sure if you live in Texas, if you live in Georgia, where I used to live, and probably here in Florida, too, that there's still a lot of people using those products. I mean, I knew neighbors in Georgia, and I'm talking, you know, people in their 40s and 50s living in the suburbs who gambled online on offshore books all the time hmm. because that was what they had. Um, so I think that's still going on. I think there's less talk around it. It's a quieter business these days. And probably a lot of the smaller and mid-sized ones have closed shop, but you got to also keep in mind that there, there are other black markets around the world that these guys can operate in as well, not just the U S. So it's, uh, it's still a thriving business of sorts, but I just, I think that, I think the attention just has, has really moved away from that in the industry. And it's more just focused on like, just other threats that are out there. Like uh, I think that New York times series that ran, I believe earlier this year or late last year uh, really highlighted some of the narrative concerns that are around the industry. If, um, if they're allowed to take hold, if uh, you know, if we don't do a careful and diligent enough job around problem gambling, harm, uh, harm mitigation and, and prevention, uh, if we don't dedicate enough resources to helping people that, you know, have, have dealt with those issues or to trying to keep them from gambling more mm-hmm. on regulated operators. I think there's a lot of prominence right now around, uh, you know, scandals involving athletes yeah. gambling yeah. that, um, you know, have really damaging potential, uh, you know, from a narrative perspective, this thing with you know, the Iowa quarterback, starting quarterback for a Big Ten football team. I mean, it's so stupid uh, it's that they did this. And it, and it's not. it doesn't look like any kind of, you know, attempt to, to make money off information or anything like that. And, and I believe he wasn't even the starting quarterback when the bets were made. Yeah. But that being said, I mean, you really, you really can see how things can spiral. If, uh, if the wrong things happen and the wrong narratives come into play. And uh, I think the thing with the Alabama baseball coach mm-hmm. in particular was like an actually kind of scary thing that happened. And so um, we really we really need to be careful that we get ahead of this kind of stuff, that we you know have compelling counter narratives in the media about like what the industry is doing, what the industry is investing to prevent impropriety, um, to get ahead of problem gambling, like I said, and just like, we need to recognize that there, this isn't just a big pot of gold. Uh, There are a bunch of legitimate social issues that result from gambling uh, proliferation and our industry as the primary beneficiary of 
that this proliferation also needs to be the primary investor in, um, you know, mitigating and preventing these harms. So um, we just, I, I think we just need to have a balanced and realistic perspective on this stuff and continue to have voices out there. Like the, the uh, Brianne Dowra Shawal is, is one of my favorites. Uh, Keith White from the National uh, Council on Problem Gambling and, and his whole organization. I think these are really terrific people who have allied with the industry rather than you know, taking an oppositional standpoint that keeping voices like that at the forefront and really like legitimately integrating their ideas into what we do as a business <laughs> is really important. And I, I think there's a lot of that going on and I am uh, keep hoping it's going to be more and more. Stick around. We'll be right back with more House of Cards. Some people like knocking boots. How to do? While others get lucky. And some just get it on. No matter how you do it or what you call it, Adam and Eve makes your whoopee hot. With 50% off almost any one sexy item, just enter offer code BOOTS2 at checkout and get 50% off plus 10 free gifts, including free shipping. First, get busy with a gift for you. Shake the sheets with something exciting for them and hit a home run with a third item you'll both enjoy. Sounds like someone hit the sweet spot. Plus six free bonus gifts that'll make you say, Bow chicka wow wow. Adam and Eve is tapping that offer. Oh yeah. With 50% off and 10 free gifts, including free shipping. Use offer code BOOTS2 at adamandeve.com now. That's offer code BOOTS. Boots 2. Boots 2 at adamandeve.com. You're listening to the House of Cards. Is is that good? Do, do I want that? Oh, yeah. You want that. Well, fantastic then. Welcome back to House of Cards. Dave Weishaddle with you. For those of you just joining us, I am talking with Adam Small from Better Collective. Well, let me ask you about the rules and regulations of sports betting. I'm sure everyone out there knows that in order to allow sports betting, states have to pass their rules and regulations. And one of the most interesting things in working in the gaming industry is that every state has different rules and regulations. I know a lot of people say they want to do the right thing, but, you know, the right thing changes from state to state. In your opinion, are the rules and regulations for sports betting effective in allowing the sports industry to grow in a responsible way? Or do you think that the regulations for sports betting need to really adapt better to the changing markets? I, I mean, you mentioned these quasi sports betting outfits like prize picks and things like that. Are Do more better rules and regulations have to be passed to really, really fit everyone in under the, uh, the protections that the regulations of a state has for sports betting and sports betting like activity? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a with stuff like these uh, sort of like fantasy betting hybrid sort of things, or yeah. some some would call it like house backed fantasy betting or wh- whatever <laughs> house backed fantasy games. Uh, I think that in these particular cases, yes, it, it, regulators need to get involved, and I hope they do. Uh, I think that these are really good companies for the most part, run by really good people. I'm. I'm personally friends with uh, a lot of people at prize picks really admire that company really big fan same with underdog um i I have just really really great sentiment toward both those companies um and and i think they exist in a space that's tricky right now because you can't be a regulated operator for a product that the state isn't regulating so i mean it's the same thing that FanDuel and DraftKings were in years ago where they were operating this daily fantasy product it wasn't regulated. Some of the states were saying it wasn't legal, but the states also weren't creating a framework to provide this product. So, I mean, the options are basically never have this product or create it in a sort of like legal limbo or quasi-legal status until the state does act. And we had this with online poker for years and years and years, yeah, right? Yeah. So, I mean, this this is a real this is a real dilemma that um, you know people trying to innovate and create new new markets face when it's a product that the state would typically be regulating. Is if it's not regulated today, um, it will never get regulated if it doesn't exist because the state's not going to regulate something that's not even out there. So you, you just kind of are stuck unless you're willing to kind of push those boundaries a little bit. And, uh, you know, that that's what's going on. I don't think it's anything nefarious or anything like that. It's just that uh, we don't we don't yet have a framework for it. And I, I really hope that um, what the games that prize picks offers and underdog and others, which are really popular yeah. and really great and innovative a lot of the time and stuff that you can't find elsewhere. I really hope that they do get worked into regulatory frameworks that uh, allow them to provide these games and also that consumers have the protection uh, that the state provides and, and so on. And I do think this will happen over time. And then there'll be more and more of the same kind of thing. And you see DraftKings and FanDuel now trying to pull the ladder up behind them and say, oh, can't believe all these guys operate these unregulated products because if they didn't do the same thing for years and years, right? So, I mean, you know, uh, it's it's just a, it's a forever of cat and mouse that goes on in an industry like this. And as long as harm is prevented and mitigated as much as possible, uh, we, we get, you know, decent outcomes at the end of the day. Let me ask you about the issue of advertising. In the last couple of weeks, I've talked to Matt Hull from U.S. Integrity. I've talked to Eric Frank from Odds on Compliance. Sean Flaherty was a delegate from West Virginia. State Senator John Ford from Indiana. All of them brought up the issue of advertising. And it's a general feeling out there that it has to be some kind of rules and regulations and really some guidance on how much and what kind of advertising is appropriate for the sports betting industry. What do you think of this issue of advertising and how do you see this issue being addressed and resolved for the industry? That's really tricky. Yeah. It's really, really tricky, right? Because, um, you know, there's a part of me that wants to say like, you know, the, the ones who are doing the most effective and best advertising are going to win the customers and, and that should be how the industry approaches it. Um, and then if you're, you know, you just seem like too much of a slime ball with what you're doing, that <laughs> customers will react to that and, and you know, not not want to be a part of what you're offering. But 
I think in reality, it's a lot more complicated than that. I mean, I, I think I liken it more to financial products than I liken it to something like cigarettes. But that being said, there is a fear, and I think it's justified that you know, if, if the industry goes too far with the advertising that you could get an outcome like what cigarettes got some years ago, where you're just kind of taken off the airwaves entirely. And I think the, uh, the industry really, really wants to avoid that. That would be a really bad outcome. Yeah. Um, and you can see, obviously, that uh, you know, tobacco probably <laughs> doesn't have a really awesome, yeah. like, long-term trajectory yeah. um, as, as a business. And, and you know, thank, thank goodness, right? Like, I remember as a kid being on airplanes where people smoked in some parts. Uh, sure. Thank goodness yeah. we don't deal with that anymore. We're sitting in the non-smoking section of a restaurant where, like, the next table over is in the smoking section. And, so like you're in the smoking section right yeah. so uh like i mean uh, I'm, I'm i'm glad that all that stuff's gotten better but i don't want to be looking back in you know 10 years or 20 years at this industry and like laughing about you know how ludicrous it was that we allowed sports betting to be advertised on tv for some period of time like i really hope that that's not the way things go and uh and and in order to in order to make that happen i you know coming back to what i said a minute ago I think we need to think about this more like financial products and probably regulate it more that way where there are just more rules around what you're allowed to say and what you're not and what you're allowed to actually offer and what you're not. Um, and, and I think we've made a lot of progress on this already in a short time. And for a while, we had this sort of framework where operators were calling bets risk-free that clearly were not. Sure. Um, and you know, that as an example, just for people who may be listening, who aren't as familiar with this, I just, I was in Tennessee a couple of years ago and I bet I was doing a bunch of these risk-free bets. And by the way, I didn't get tricked. I knew exactly what I was doing and I made a bunch of money on other ones, but on one of them, I signed up an account somewhere. I did the thousand dollar maximum risk-free bet mm -hmm. on something it lost. And then I got credited back a thousand dollar free bet, which is basically what they would do. They would, you know, give you a free bet to make if yeah. you lost the first bet that was equivalent to how much you lost. But then I made that thousand dollar free bet and it also lost. And then I had nothing. So yeah. I had lost the thousand dollars, which clearly means it was not a risk-free proposition. It was a better proposition than a normal bet because sure. you know my expected value is much higher if I get a thousand dollar bet you know, as a backup, if I lose the first one, that's much better than just getting nothing if you lose the first bet. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not the same as risk-free. And what they yeah. were calling those bets was just quite frankly wrong and misleading and probably dangerous. Not to someone like me, but to the average person, sure. you know, some some grandma out there that sees this or whatever. Yeah, And, uh, and I could really see very sympathetic... Um, and, and like legitimately sympathetic stories coming out of people who got screwed over by stuff like this is if you're a college student, a thousand dollars is a whole lot of money. I mean, if I lost, I remember one, one summer I lost a couple hundred bucks in blackjack to my fraternity brothers. And I was like <laughs> saving up the entire summer at my job to pay people back that I'd lost money to that I didn't have money to pay. So losing a thousand dollars that you thought was risk-free could be really, really difficult for a 21 or 22 year old. Or, you know, just someone that doesn't have a lot of money. And uh, I think that was a legitimately bad thing the industry was doing. And uh, I think that we've got to, we've got to, you know, <laughs> make our game, make our game better around this stuff. And 
fortunately, uh, there are a lot of people that care that are paying attention to this and improvements are already being made. Now, one of the big stories in the industry is what's happening with the sportsbook operators themselves. I mean, last year we saw Fubo and Maxim Bet fall away. This year, Foxbet is going away, and PointsBet U.S. assets were acquired by Fanatics. Tell us about the sports betting operators themselves. Is this industry going to see more of these situations? And is that an indication that there may be too many sports books out there? Is this what economists call a market correction? What do we what do we take from the fact that some sports books are falling away? I think it's totally expected. Mm-hmm. I think you ask anyone a few years ago and they would have said this this kind of development would happen. They might not have made all the, the right uh, predictions, probably not. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, in the case of Foxbet, I was just talking about this recently on another show. I, I mean, Foxbet was going to go away. That was going to happen. As soon as Stars Group got acquired by Flutter back in 2020, it was basically a foregone conclusion. They're not going to operate two two different sports books like for too long in the u.s it's just it's like prohibitively expensive you know from a licensing perspective and everything else maybe if fox had really taken off this would have gone differently but um clearly they had the leading sports book in FanDuel. like why are they going to mess around with you know and also ran and, and then it didn't help that there was like the litigation between FanDuel and fox and you know just a, a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of reasons that that this just didn't work out. But, um, you know, that was a unique situation. It happened. Uh, You know, you got other situations like uh, take a Unibet that, you know, maybe hasn't necessarily pulled out entirely, but is drastically scaled back their spending or 888. um, Or, you know, like some of these books, particularly from overseas that have scaled back their expansion plans. They just haven't gone into all these additional states that they said they were going into. You've had, um, you know, Carousel Group that was operating Max and Bet that, you know, was a pretty short-lived experiment, in, at least in, um, you know, in the U.S. They were in Colorado and I think planned to be in more states, but I'm not sure they ever actually launched in more states or yeah. if they did it was very short-lived. Um, so you've got, you've got situations like that. Just people, you know, come come out and try to play and then realize it's tough and give up. And then you got other situations where you, you have a company like PointsBet that, um came in, had some decent plans, obviously had an uphill climb dating back to, I remember hearing about them first in 2018. And uh, my, my good buddy, Seth Young was working there at the time and and talked them up to me. And I I actually played on there when they launched and found it pretty fun and interesting, Uh, just, you know, a little bit unique, but they had a big uphill climb just based on user base and not having it compared to, you know, companies that already had been operating in the U.S. in some form or another. And uh, and so that was really tough. They had a hard time gaining really substantial market share. They were losing money in the U.S., uh, you know, a lot. And uh, and it was pretty clear for a long time that they didn't have, like, shareholder and, you know, support within their own company to keep operating in the U.S. for the long term. So, um, you know, everyone knew they were going to get acquired. It was a question of who. And then, you know, Fanatic swoops in and DraftKings does their thing, but Fanatics obviously ends up making the purchase. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Rush Street for a long time, RSI um, getting getting you know picked up by somebody. I think it's quite likely. There's talk about Tipico getting bought by someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think these things will continue to happen. You're going to have 
some of these smaller books that are having a really hard time, like with the realities of what it costs to operate in U.S. markets. Uh, either they were planning all along to get acquired or they just have to or they have to shut down the U.S. operations. I think this does keep happening. But you also see, you know, we talked about this earlier, uh, the gaining of prominence of other brands that maybe haven't made like a full throated entrance yet into the u.s markets like bet 365 or hard rock that you know start becoming more relevant and i just i don't think we're anywhere near the point yet where we're looking at this as a mature market and all of the attempts to uh you know gain ground are dissipating and everyone just kind of settles into their place i don't think we're anywhere near not that the, not that markets ever like have a finishing point where it's exactly like that but you, you know you have points where people just say okay it's just too hard to like really break in as established players i don't think we're at that point yet i think there's a lot of shaking out still to be done over the next several years stick around we'll be right back with more house of cards Attention. If you owe back taxes to the IRS, the IRS is cracking down by hiring 87,000 new agents to garnish your paycheck and put liens on homes and businesses. They can even seize your bank account. The IRS calls it enforced compliance, and now they have the manpower to get you. Penalties and interest on unpaid taxes compound daily. So call One Stop Tax Relief Shop and get the IRS off your back. They're experts in the Fresh Start Initiative, one of the biggest breaks the IRS IRS has ever offered. Call 800-353-2174. 800-353-2174. One Stop Tax Relief has resolved thousands of cases since 2014 and saved clients millions of dollars. Call now for a free consultation. Get the IRS off your back. Call 800 353 2174. You're listening to House of Cards. Check out our website at House of Cards Radio.com. Welcome back to House of Cards. Dave Weishaddle with you. For those of you just joining us, I am talking with Adam Small from Better Collective. Well, let me ask you about these mergers and acquisitions. I mean, a lot of people are seeing the sports books and gambling operators doing deals with like media companies or other companies that don't do sports betting or gambling directly, but are affiliated with the industry. Do you think this is going to be a big year for that? And do you think those deals have cooled off? And is that a way for sports books and gambling organizations to do a deal with a media company to get a leg into the uh the forefront and get their voice out there yeah i mean i i think that it, it you know it's it ebbs and flows a bit mm-hmm. uh i think barstool i guess is probably the most prominent example of the thing you're referring to or Foxbet, i guess which we were talking about earlier right where you got some sort of like existing media yeah. brand that either gets acquired or brought into the fold or partnered with. Um, there's certainly been a lot of buzz all the time for years about ESPN, right? Yeah. Are they going to like formally ally with a single book? 
right? Yeah. Um, obviously, DraftKings would probably, you know, give them everything to be <laughs> to be partnered <laughs> with them just because it makes so much sense for them particularly. But ESPN has been kind of coy. And they have these different, you know, different conversations like where, yes, maybe they're going to have their own sports book or maybe they're not, or maybe they're going to do more advertising, maybe not. Like they're, they, they have different messages that they seem to send out. And then there's also this sort of like, uh, there's this backdrop of like ESPN might get spun off from Disney, right? Or might get sold to somebody else or whatever. So, um, you know, that's, that's really the big one. There's obviously there's there's other media companies in the space that are of of interest, but I think that's the really big one. I think that the the barstool thing in particular, it looks like maybe it's going to end up being a flop mm -hmm. for Penn National. I think that it's it's really it's going to really make people hesitant about coughing up a few hundred million dollars for some like you know really spicy media brand. Uh, which is which is really the option, right? Like you can't you 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 want to run a sports book, you're not going to be able to go buy ESPN. Yeah. So I mean, the the option is to buy up something like a bar stool or, or you know, uh, I don't know, Bleacher Report kind of thing. I know some of these have been acquired, but just these these kind of big niche kind of sports sites or networks or uh, or to like partner with an ESPN or a Fox or Bally or whatever, mm -hmm. and uh, just the, the the amount of interesting ones that are out there, there just aren't that many. ESPN is like incredibly interesting, right? Yeah, sure, sure. I'm just I'm not sure there's even like a second tier below that that's yeah, interesting yeah. right now. <sighs> well, let me ask you one of the big things uh, and a big topic for a lot of gambling operators is online casinos. I mean. Here in New Jersey, where I live, we have sports books like DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, Caesars, but all those mobile sports books have online casinos attached to them. I know, I know. Saturday morning, DraftKings has their DraftKings online casino report on television, so uh, there's always that. Now, in the past, states have always been reluctant to allow online casinos. Do you think that's going to change pretty soon? Because I mean, there's there's a huge push for online casinos now. Yeah, I mean, it was it was inevitable, right? Yeah. I, I do think there'll be more states offering it for sure, just because there's there's a lot of money in it, and so there'll be a lot of lobbying dollars, and and now the sports books, which are also for the most part the online casino providers, uh, you know, really want this, and they're established political players in all these states. So, yes, I mean, I do think it's coming in more places over time. Uh, do I think it's going to proliferate as easily as sports betting did? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, I just think it's a harder sell and uh, they're going to be like sports betting. Every state's going to be different in their approach to this, but there are going to be a lot of states that, that have an issue with it for one reason or another, or it's just harder to get across the finish line. But at the end of the day, you got a lot of, a lot of starving budgets yeah. in states and, and they love, you know, get more money in for their lotteries and for their, you know, w whatever gambling taxes they do. And, and this will be no different. And, <laughs> you know, in the end, it's going to be an opportunity. They're going to see how much Pennsylvania is raking in off that 50, whatever percent slot tax. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they're going to want to get in on that. So I, I do think it's coming to more places. I think, you know, DraftKings buying up golden nugget is going to be prescient for them. It's going to work out well over time. Uh, do I see it in 30 states in five years? No way. Mm -hmm. But um, I definitely think there are going to be some states that, that get involved. And 
I, I would bet that two years from now we got at least three or four more states do an online casino or at least that have passed legislation. You know, you just mentioned Pennsylvania. They just uh, went live with Bally's online casino and that's like their 20th online casino and New Jersey has 30. I was shocked to find that, to find out that New Jersey has online, a lot of online casinos like that. But wh- wh- why do you think, why do you think states have been so reluctant to allow online casinos? I mean, they, they seem to really welcome sports betting, but really pushing away online casinos. Well, they're reluctant to allow all of it, honestly. Uh, And the reason they're allowing it is because of the money. They just, uh, for the most part, they, they see an opportunity to, you know, help their budgetary situations, which are probably every single, there are probably 50 challenging state budgets situations in the country, you know, one for every state. Uh, And, uh, (laughs) and so they see this as a, as a way to help with that. And, uh, and so I think that it took a while for them to get in the door, in, in, particularly in some of the states that have legalized more recently. And every state has its own issues. Some states have constitutional issues. Some states have like, you know, incumbency issues like Florida with the Seminoles and, and you know, tribal compacts and stuff like that. And so it's tricky. And I think online casinos uh, did not have what the sports books had, which is, uh, you know, advocacy coming from like, well-known celebrities like Roger Goodell or, you know, maybe he wasn't specifically involved, but, you, you know, like league commissioners and, and, uh, and teams and players and like, you know, people that legislatures would, would have people that would want to get their autographs and stuff like that. You know, I, I just, I think like people underestimate how human people are in legislatures and, and regulators and how exciting it is for them to meet celebrities and stuff like that. And, and, the leagues have taken advantage of this. Yeah. It's not just like giving people their favorite whiskey in a smoky room or whatever. <laughs> a lot of the time it's just genuinely getting them excited about, um, you know, what, what doing this could mean for, you know, them and the States they represent. And, uh, and, and casino just doesn't have that. There's no cultural excitement around online casino gaming, right? Like there, there really is a sports betting. It's something yeah. everybody talks about sports all the time. Everybody talks about who they think is going to win games and stuff like that. And just the logical next step is talking about putting money on that for a lot of people. Right. And uh, and and so it just I think it's just smoother and more comfortable culturally for people, Um, whereas online casino is really tricky because it's just like a lot of people's first reaction is going to be, is that even fair? Is it possible for it to be fair? Obviously, we know a lot about this. We're in the space, but um, I think it's a harder sell. It's a harder. It's kind of hard to believe that you know if you're playing blackjack online and you can't <laughs> see the cards that uh, that you're sure that if you you know every time you bet more money that the house doesn't take an extra edge or something. Like I, I, I understand a lot more about it than the average person, but it's still like it's weird for me to even think about playing blackjack online. Like uh, not because I think I have a less chance of winning. It's just like why yeah right yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, i think uh i think that it just takes people more time to wrap their head around it and uh and i think that's the biggest issue and poker poker's this whole other can of worms yeah, because well, it's peer to peer right yeah. well let me, let me ask you about that i because just this morning i saw a television commercial for poker stars which is you know becoming a common thing in new jersey and pennsylvania to see these these commercials for online poker what, what do you see as the future of online poker in the u.s i think it's 
I think it's going to be small. Mm -hmm. I just think it's going to be small for the foreseeable future because it's taking so long to get more states. It's taken so long to get interstate cooperation and player pooling. And uh, it just... It just doesn't feel like a priority to anybody, whether it's legislatures, the gambling companies themselves, <laughs> etc. Um, the people that are really doing well in poker, like World Poker Tour, for example, you know, just like the big businesses, Poker Go and so on, just aren't the same players as the major players in sports betting uh, or, or like the people who would probably benefit from online poker regulation, like, you know, BetMGM and, yeah. and uh, you know, flutter so it's it's really i don't know it's tricky like i do think it's gonna matter i think there will be more interstate online poker and bigger tournaments down the road but um i just i'm just not as sure like there's always all this debate around you know, the world series of poker had such a big turnout is there gonna be another poker boom uh, and, and i hear people say oh there's no poker boom there's no new poker boom coming i just think the answer is it's complicated. Yeah. Um, maybe there just are because the poker boom happened, you know, about 20 years ago when it started. Maybe there are just a lot of people who are in their 20s and who are in their 40s now and have more money that enjoy poker because they were doing it a lot when they were young and it was something they got into and now they have the money and maybe once a year they can take a flight out and play a poker tournament or whatever. And and uh, because of that, you know, you got a lot of people with the means who can do something like enter the World Series of Poker. Maybe, yeah. right? There's probably a bunch of reasons around all that. But um, I just, I, I'm not as sure that there's like a really big mass market for just like sitting online and grinding yeah. all the time. And particularly like cash games. God, they're miserable now. <laughs> I mean, I've played uh, all night at Harris Cherokee a few months ago with my buddy who lives near there. I had I'd never been there in 12 years living in Atlanta. I'd never made it up there. It was two hours from my house uh, before I moved. And, uh, you know, we had, we, we were drinking, so we were having a good time just playing stupid and, mm -hmm. and whatever, but the games are so slow, so dead. Yeah. It feels like yeah. such a miserable place. You look around the table, you see miserable people <laughs> sitting there and uh, playing, playing a tournament is different. Playing a tournament's kind of fun. It's kind of exciting. Like the tournament's going somewhere. Yeah. But yeah. grinding cash just isn't fun anymore. Uh, the average player got too good, too tight, and uh, you know, I just I'm just not sure that there is a recovery from that ever. I'm just not sure because because online poker was making so much money off cash games, just sure. running all the time and limit cash games particularly. I just don't think that's coming back ever mm -hmm. so i'm just i don't think it's i don't think it's a real big you know uh likelihood that there's real revenue coming from that in the u.s in the future well what would it take for online casinos and online poker to really make a dent in the industry will it take a big state like new york to say yes okay we're going to have online casinos and online poker because let me tell you something a couple of weeks ago Rhode Island just made online casinos and online poker legal. And, you know, it's great and everything. I don't mean any disrespect to Rhode Island, but it everyone said, hey, that's great, and then just moved on. Will it take a really yeah. big populated state to legalize these two online properties to make it relevant, really, in the industry? Um, maybe. <laughs> it's really hard to say. Um, coincidentally, I'm going to Rhode Island uh, okay. <laughs> in a few weeks. Can, can you apologize for me? Or <laughs> <laughs> I 
I've only been there once in my life about 20 years ago. And I was thinking that I was like, I could gamble online while I'm there. But um, no, I mean, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's really hard to tell. I, I'm not a big believer in sort of this theory that like when a big state does one of these things that it makes it easier for the other states to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, with online poker, it's a little bit different because the, uh, the existence of interstate pooling means that a, a smaller to medium sized state can legitimately enter into the online poker fray, which just wasn't possible before. Like I remember Delaware had online poker, but like only in their own state for a while. It's like, I mean, there, there aren't enough people in Delaware to like fill a poker table, you know, like what's the point? So uh, you, you can't, you can't expect that to be anything at all relevant, right? Uh, poker is a game where you just need liquidity. You need critical mass of population. So um, I think it's it's very important that you have this possibility of interstate player pooling, which we now have. Um, and that means that, you know, I don't think that a state like Kentucky or West Virginia or, you know, Alabama or, or you know, whatever uh really needs to think when they're when they're making these decisions like are am i going to be able to have something relevant here like they can just enter into what's out there into that framework um and that helps a lot but it also means that you know big state decisions are kind of less predictive of what the smaller states are going to do and i think as we've seen in sports betting it's a it's a different kind of push in every single state it's and it's a big hard push and the New York Times article about the push in Kansas to me really highlights that because like anywhere, right? Like no offense to anyone, but <laughs> I mean, it's just not a state that anyone who doesn't live there thinks about ever. And, uh, <laughs> and it, you know, maybe in the NCAA tournament every year, right? But um, yeah, I mean, uh, again, no offense to Kansas, yeah, to yeah. be clear. So in, but, the, um, in the last you know, couple I'm of minutes, West Virginia, so in, I get it, right? In the last but, couple of minutes, yeah. we've crapped on Rhode Island and Kansas. So, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. We're, we're all around. We're all around uh, send, uh, small states. But send like all I your said, email from, to Better Collective. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm from West Virginia. I get it. I'm from a small state that also is often considered irrelevant for everything. But um, all this just to say that even for these small states that don't have big populations and big markets, you still have like a furious, furious lobbying push to get it done. You know, it's not like Kansas is calling up FanDuel like, hey, what's the best deal we can give you? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's tough and it's going to be tough with casino, even tougher because you won't have the sports leagues backing you up and all that. So uh, really hard to say. But I do think we'll have more states like in the relatively near future. Adam, we're running out of time, but can you give out the website for Better Collective so people can check out all the great things Better Collective is doing in the gaming industry? Yeah, I'll give you a few. I mean, Better Collective's website is really kind of like a corporate website because they're a publicly traded company. They don't have like any products on Better Collective com specifically but for the u.s i think people will be very interested in what's going on at the action network and uh vegasinsider.com uh, usbets.com is one of the ones that i work on more closely as well as sportshandle.com which reports on industry news uh we've got all kinds of stuff going on we also just recently acquired a company called playmaker that uh, does all kinds of cool stuff on social media so yeah you can check us out at, at uh, any of those any of those places Adam Small from Better Collective, thanks so much for coming on and giving us the latest on what's going on in the gaming industry. It's always great to talk to you and get your perspective on the industry. So please come back on. It's always great hearing from you. And thanks for coming on now. Thanks for having me. Well, that'll do it for us this week. We'll see you next time with House of Cards. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.